There's a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between life and death. And it lies between the pit of a person's fears and the summit of God's grace. This is the mystery of the Almighty's love. It is an area which we call the communion zone. When these people woke this morning and got ready for church, they had no inclination what awaited them this Sunday morning. They parked their cars and maybe got a cup of coffee with a lid, were given a bulletin. They had no idea they would be entering the communion zone. They would be horrified if they knew we could listen into their thoughts in the communion zone. Just look at her. She acts so spiritual. But I know the truth. The pastor said, examine yourself. I sure wish you would take a look in the mirror. The very thought of her makes my blood boil. Wow, this month flew by. I can't believe it's communion again. I wonder how long today's service will go. I am starving. I can't wait to cook those steaks on the grill. I hope the pastor doesn't make too many of those same old comments. God, here I am again. Please forgive me for all the times I've let you down, especially that one time. Lord, I just can't get it out of my head. Why don't I feel forgiven? You died to set me free. I feel too dirty to take communion. What am I to do? Communion Sunday makes me feel rotten. Lord, please forgive me of all my sins. I'm so thankful that you forgive me. I wonder if I should keep my eyes closed before the bread comes. I don't want people to think I'm not praying anymore. What are you actually supposed to do during communion? These people are about to leave the communion zone. Or were they ever really there? Now that was not the wrong opener for this morning. Yes, we are starting a new series, Larger and Larger. But living in the communion zone has a significant impact on whether you and I live larger or, or larger or smaller and smaller. The two are related. Now, all of us have an idea of what living large would mean for us. It's our ideal life. We think, wow, if it just looked like this, then life would be perfect. It's, it's just, if it could just unfold this way, then I would live large. I'd live this larger and larger life rather than a smaller life. And you know, it's really a, a good idea to take a little bit of an inventory of where our life is going as we start into a new year. Are we living a life that's going to be larger and larger? Or are we living a life that is going to be smaller and smaller? In the communion zone what it means, what it expresses, has bearing on how you and I navigate into this new year. 
again, all of us have this idea, this concept in our mind of what complete, what the ideal life would really look like. It doesn't matter if you're a person of faith or if you're a person trying to discover out if faith even has anything to say to my life. It doesn't matter whether you're young or older. All of us have this image in our mind of what the ideal life would look like. And most of us want to live larger. Most of us want to have that dream life be our reality. And as Solomon wrote about this, uh, he wrote it this way. He said, the world, the life of the generous gets larger and larger. The world, the life of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. So for Solomon, he hinges this idea of living large on generosity. And all of us go, oh, we feel our wallets go, uh-oh, it's going to be one of those kinds of sermons, run for the doors. There's more going on than that. This idea of generosity. How do we determine what a generous life actually looks like? What does it mean to be generous with our life? None of us want a life that gets smaller and smaller. And again, I want to go back to this idea that it hinges or there's a direct input on how you view communion and if you and I regularly live in the communion zone. We've talked about these things probably about 18 months ago, but it's a good refresher for us to, to understand that the communion zone, communion has an important uh, part for our lives. It's, it's a part of, of calibrating our lives. It's a part of measuring our lives. It's important that we, that we realize that communion is not something we do just about once a month, and it's just this ritualistic thing. It actually has a bearing on us as we enter the communion zone and, in a sense, stay in the communion zone. Because as we celebrate communion, as we remember, we're really reminding ourselves that Christ is to be the center of our lives. I love the way Eugene Peterson paraphrases, translates Hebrews 3.1. He says it this way, So my dear Christian friends, companions, in following this call to the heights, take a good, hard look at Jesus. He's the center piece of everything we believe. And that idea of centerpiece, that idea of belief, but it's not a belief that is just internal. It's a belief that has external expression. And so you and I, if we're going to enter the communion zone, if we're going to live in the rhythm of the communion zone, if we're going to know how to be generous so we can live life large, Christ has got to be our centerpiece. He's got to be the focal point. It's the place where we look. It's the person to whom we look. And it's just not something we believe. It's something that gets expressed on the outside. For example, I believe, I believe with all of my heart that my intake of carbs has an effect on my life. 
And you may even notice that I've, I've slid a little bit over the last six weeks. I'm going, wow, i got to get back to this and watch the carbs. I believe that. I believe that. I'm experiencing it. I'm living larger and larger. The wrong kind of larger and larger. But I believe that. It's quite differently when that internal belief shows up on the outside. And so when we think about communion and we think about what it means, we're going to tease that out, break that down. But, when it, but what it means is that when then we live in that zone, it affects us externally. It's just not a belief, it's a behavior. It affects our actions. Not affecting our actions in such a way to earn God's love, we've already experienced that but it affects the outside. So belief here, sometimes we, we believe a lot of things. You believe a lot of things, but they really don't show up on the outside the way we actually live. So when Jesus is our centerpiece, when we enter the communion zone, when that is the rhythm of our life, it's just not that we believe something. That belief actually affects our behavior. And that's why Paul, when he writes on the subject of the Lord's Supper, communion, whatever you want to refer it to as, he, he writes these words in, the, um, in 1120. He says this, 1 Corinthians, when you meet together, you don't really celebrate the Lord's Supper. He's writing that to the Christ followers at Corinth. He's saying, when you, when you get together and you do this thing called communion, the Lord's Supper, you really don't celebrate it. Now, why, why does he say that? He says, because you hold to an internal belief, which is very important, but it's not revealing himself externally. And so you're really not celebrating. You're really not in the communion zone. And if you and I are going to live large, if we're going to live that ideal life for us as a Christ follower, it's completely tied to the rhythms of the communion zone. So what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to open up to 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. 17. Uh, that's page 799, and you'll find in that rack Bible around you. If you don't have your own copy of God's Word, please feel free to take that Bible as a gift from Seneca Community Church. would love you to have a copy. Um, also, we're real strong advocates of, an, of a free Bible app called YouVersion, and then you can have that on your electronic devices wherever you go, so you can follow along that way. Also, uh, most of the passages will be on, on the screen. So 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen, Paul is writing again, we go back to verse 20 that says, you really don't celebrate the Lord's Supper. He's going to explain what that really ought to look like. That you and I ought to live out of living in the communion zone. It should be the rhythm of our life, not just a belief that never gets shown on the outside. Uh, beginning in verse uh, 17. In the following directives, this is Paul writing, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. Can you imagine getting that statement? Your times together as a church do more harm than good. Your community groups, your, your times when you get together and have coffee do more harm than good. 
That, that's a pretty serious statement. Paul's writing to this church, and he's saying, when you guys get together, it's just not great. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, and church is as the word for assembly, it's assembling together where a bunch of you are together, you're in a sense church, it's not a building. He says there are divisions among you, uh, just different point of view all over the place, and to some extent I believe it. It's of no surprise, uh, Paul had spent a lot of time with the church at Corinth, so he could kind of see how this, this could be possible. No doubt there has to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. It's kind of like a little twist there, a little dig there. He's saying, you know, maybe there has to be difference because you're trying to, you know, jockey for God's approval. So you're living a certain way. So you get a pat on your back. And when you get a pat on your back, that means somebody else isn't getting a pat on their back. Isn't it horrible how sometimes we as Christ balls can gather and we try to be lifted up higher than somebody else, so they look lower, so we can kind of feel good about ourselves. That should actually not make us feel good about ourselves when we have those views, have those, those thoughts. So then, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. You go, what is going on there? Basically, they would have these potluck dinners. And they would bring all their food, they'd bring this time together, and a part of their uh, being together, their meal, would also be celebrating the Lord's Supper. And so when they would come together, somebody who had plenty would enjoy their plenty, and somebody who didn't have anything would actually be hungry. Some people would be so extravagant with what they were doing that they would actually drink too much. And get a little integrated, get a little tipsy. This is a disaster. And you go, wow, it's good that we never do those kinds of things. But how many times do we leverage what we have and we kind of put it out there to lift ourselves up, to look a little better, to look a little bit more put together at the expense of somebody else? doesn't mean you should be sloppy. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't shoot for doing a good job. But we have to ask ourselves sometimes what our motives are. Is it so that I shine or so that Christ, in a sense, shines through me? So we can kind of do the same thing. We might not express it this way. He goes on. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I have received from the Lord what I pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant, the new agreement in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup and proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood 
of the Lord Jesus. In other words, when you and I get into the communion zone, when we celebrate it, and it's really not a reflection of what's going on in our heart, it's just kind of a rigmarole, it's just kind of something we do, uh, we're not celebrating it in a worthy manner. When we, when, we, when we celebrate it, when we remember it, and you know, the idea of communion is walking with God, being close to God, being tight with God, when, when that's really not the accurate take of our lives, it's, it's not, it cheapens the whole thing. It's just, a, it's just a game, and it makes light of what he did. Everyone ought to examine himself before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, to eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. And fallen asleep is code for have had an early death. Ooh, that's serious stuff. When you and I play with this thing called our relationship with God, uh, sometimes uh, God God takes us home early, and and that's not meant to scare you, but, but... that's true. I, I could give you one or two examples. I, I think that's happened. So this idea of playing around with our faith uh, is not good because he doesn't want his reputation tainted. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give you further instructions. So entering this communion zone, remembering, is a big deal for Christ followers. Uh, and, and we're, you know, so, so let's just go over some celebration basics. Uh, first of all, you, you know, you know why why do do we celebrate? Why why do we even do this? Why 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 do we remember? It, it's really to remind us to instill uh, some some in a sense awe to what Jesus has done for us. The message says, "Come to this meal in holy awe." This idea of wow. This idea of not taking it for granted. This idea of not being so familiar. And and what's hard, for those of us who have been in church world for a long time, we can just make it, oh, it's communion Sunday. It's it's almost a bother. It's almost an inconvenience. And Paul says there's something really important going on when you and I celebrate communion, when you and I remember. And we ought to come not with uh, sadness, but we ought to come with some, some wow and some respect and some, this, this, is, this is a sacred moment. Now, there are some Christ followers that, that believe that when you celebrate communion, the, the juice, the wine, uh, we, use, we use juice, and, and the bread actually becomes the body of Christ. And, and, and we, we are, we're, we're, we're not that kind of a church. You see, we, we really believe it's symbolic. We believe that Christ died on the cross once and for all. We, we don't need his body anymore. He, he's given us that gift for him. 
So, so, so we, don't, we don't do that. You'll notice if you go to some churches, when they're all done with communion, they, they, they treat the juice and the bread very carefully, which isn't a bad idea, but, but they treat it very carefully because they actually believe that's become the body and blood of Jesus. And then there's other groups that is somewhere in between that would say something uh, sacred, some kind of grace is dispelled to the person who participates in the Lord's Supper. And so there's something uh, supernatural that takes place when, when we partake. And uh, again, we, we would say, no, no we, we would say it's symbolic, uh, we, we would say that it is a remembrance, but I will say this, when you come to the meal in holy awe, when you're really remembering, when you're really entering the communion zone, something wonderful happens in your life. Because at least if we come to the meal, and I'm going to give you, they're not, they're not, the, the, the four steps, you've heard me share them before, but four ideas that uh, can make remembering spiritually significant in our, our lives. Uh, they can really become a, a calibration for our lives. Now, I joked earlier about, you know, having this, this belief that carbs are bad, uh, if on Wednesday uh, you heard some screams coming from Waterloo, it was because I got on the scale finally after putting it off. I'm like, oh, no! Oh, no, it's happened again. And in a sense, when we come to the meal in holy awe, it can measure where we're at. Often, many of us step on the scales of communion, and as quickly as we get off, we forget the numbers that are there. Some of us have been in the habit of, when we know it's communion, because it is engagement with our hearts, we try to take a step back. Sometimes I've had conversations with a person that said, you know, I'm not coming next Sunday because it's communion. I'm like, well, why is that? Well, it's because... It's, it's, there's things going on in my heart, and I'm, I'm, I don't want to, I don't, I, I don't want to deal with what, what's going on in my heart. So, and not even, they don't even step on the scale. They don't let it recalibrate. So, it's symbolic, yes, but the symbolism of it, that's the reason Jesus gave it to us, the symbolism of it can have power in our lives. Again, in verses 24 through 25, he talks about the bread representing him giving his body for us, giving his life for us. And it's a little gross, but it's meant to be gross that uh, the juice is to represent him shedding his blood for us. For those of us who are familiar with the Older Testament, those of us who are familiar with uh, what uh, Israel and Jewish people did to be right with God, there was always this, this animal sacrifice system. And it was to, to point to Christ. We sang about the lamb. Christ was the lamb. But all that was to point that there, there needed to be this, this, this payment for our sins, our disobedience. And that was all foreshadowing when Christ would come and do that. So it's, it's serious stuff. It's still just grape juice. It's still just wine. It's still just bread. But it's a symbol. And we need to, we need to, we need to remember that. And that should, that should tug on our hearts. 
in, in our tradition of Christ followers, we, we believe there are, there are two symbols, two ordinances. There's communion, which again, we celebrate once a month. We get into the communion zone. It's supposed to have a measurement for where our life is going, not that we're losing our relationship with God, but, but how are we doing? It's an evaluation. It's taking inventory. But then there's also the other symbol that we do once as a Christ follower when you decide to follow Christ, and that is get baptized. And the imagery there is the death, burial, and resurrection with Christ. That's the reason in our church we ask that uh, you be immersed under the water. It represents death, burial, and resurrection. And by the way, in March we'll be having a baptism, so we'll be watching uh, your uh, program. And you can, if you're interested in that, if you've never been baptized as a believer, uh, there's an opportunity to that. So we have these two symbols, and these two symbols are to be powerful in our lives. Also, this idea of communion, it's a, it's a declaration. Um, every time you taste the bread and every time you place the cup to your mouths and drink, you're declaring. Uh, the New Century Version says, telling others about the Lord's death, which is the ultimate expression of Christ's faithfulness, his faithfulness love, until he comes again. So it's symbolic, but it's also a declaration. It's saying, hey, I'm a Christ follower. We're going to ask who should participate in communion. It ought to be someone who's a Christ follower because you're saying, I'm declaring. I may not do it perfectly, but I am trying to stay on the path of following Christ. And so when I partake, I'm saying that my life is tied to Christ. It's identified with Christ. And so when you and I Celebrate communion, we're, we're telling others that we are Christ followers and that that's the centerpiece of our life. So, so when do we celebrate communion? Well, at our church, we celebrate it basically once a month. It's not on clockwork. We, we try to celebrate it once a month. We, I have friends that uh, do it every week. Uh, we've decided as a church that doing it once a month keeps it fresh, and that's, that's just the way we've decided. It's not a right nor wrong. Uh, I've celebrated communion in a home, around the table as a community. Uh, I, sometimes at Thanksgiving, our family has done communion. It's not, a, it's not something where you have to have a, a pastor do communion. It's remembering. So it's, it's kind of up to you. But the key is to regularly be remembering. Because as I'm going to say, if you slow down, if we slow down and really think about what we're doing, we're in a sense putting our life on the scale and we can look at the number and decide if there needs to be some adjustment. And the adjustment isn't, isn't again, to, to earn God's love. We already have that love. It's an adjustment. It's a measurement to figure out where we're at, because I don't know about you, but I am prone to wander. If I don't keep recalibrating, I drift. That's the reason we have a scale in our house. I drift. And this is that kind of scale for you and I. Now, if you're not a Christ follower, if you're trying to figure out this, you're going, well, what does this have to do with me? This is just a, a great information for you to see how Christians are trying to live their lives. How, how communion does have an impact in their lives. 
So when to celebrate? The early church basically celebrated every time they got together. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. See, in the early church, they, they loved remembering what Christ had done for them. It was the engine that kept their life going. Life was tough. Life was hard. And they needed and they wanted to hold on to the hope that they were right with God because of what Christ did for them and that Christ someday would come and set things right. And they needed to be reminded of that. They gathered together. This wasn't a solo event. They gathered together to, to be reminded, to be inspired. So they were celebrating all the time. Again, there's a, there's a choice about that. Already mentioned who should celebrate. When Paul addresses the church at Corinth, it's, it's assumed that he's addressing Christ followers. So, so the people that celebrate should be people who said yes to Christ. Now, if you're sitting there and you partake and you haven't said yes to Christ, it's not like all of a sudden there's going to be a light of, bolt, bolt of lightning and you're going to be, you know, it's just, it's just you're doing something that uh, has meaning that hopefully we're coming as Christ falls to with holy awe and, and, you, and you don't have meaning. So it kind of cheapens the event. Over Christmas time, you know, we had a house full of people, and uh, I have my special mug. I have two special mugs. One special mug I've told you about before that got broken by my sister. We're not going there. It was a gift from Cindy. But my other special mug is a mug that I got from Mariah. And this special mug is a Starbucks mug, you know, and, and I use it. And, and some people would say it doesn't get washed enough because it's a little stained inside, but I think that adds to the flavor. And uh, some things probably are growing in there. But anyway, I, I use this mug. And, and to my surprise, one morning my brother-in-law was using it. <laughs> it's my mug. It's special to me. You, there's a million mugs in the cabinet. Use another mug. So very nicely, I say, hey, what, what are you doing with that mug? Oh, I just, uh, that's, that's my mug. And um, I didn't make a big deal. I didn't kick him out of the house. Uh, but uh, I'll, t I'll tell you this. Uh, I noticed he didn't use it again, so he must have got the message. <laughs> it's my special mug. This is something that is special. Special. Shame on me. Growing up in the church, on those Sundays where I go, oh, it's communion, it's going to go longer, instead of embracing the holy awe of what Christ has done for us. And yes, it's the same story, but aren't we happy it's the same story? Aren't we happy that it hasn't changed, hasn't been adjusted, because it changes everything? So how do we celebrate? How do we celebrate? First of all, we look back and remember what we have. These aren't like the four reasons why to celebrate. I can't go to a chapter and a verse, but if you read the context of 1 Corinthians 11 and other places, I, th I think they're fitting. You might be able to come up with five. You might say that could be three, but here here's four. And, and this is what I personally do. This is what I do in my heart when I'm sitting out there. I'm trying to see, okay, what am I supposed to be doing during communion? How do I come to this meal with holy awe? How do I get on the scale and let it measure my life? 
So I ask, I, I look back and remember what I have in Christ. Who he is, what he did for me. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. This is referring to Jesus. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all but the sin. He was that perfect lamb, that perfect sacrifice. So I remember that. I'm thankful that I have a Savior that's just not an academic Savior. He lived the life I have lived to some. He knows what it's like to have somebody else use your mug and not react. No. He, he, he knows what it's like. He knows the limitations of being a human being. He knows what it's like to be someone to ride you hard when you've done nothing wrong. He, he knows all that. He knows what it's like to be exhausted. He's been through it all, except he did not sin. He did not react to whatever that was. And so when we celebrate communion, I look back and I go, wow, I've got everything I need to live large in this life. So I've got Jesus. He's mine. And he gets my life. He's experienced things. I'm not praying to someone who's never had that rub, that temptation, that disappointment, that just heartache. He's had it. He knows. He, he experienced. He just didn't read about it. He just didn't observe it from afar. He, he, he really had that. He experienced it all. Also, I realized that uh, basically, again, I mentioned this earlier, that his shed blood, he, he gave his life, he died. And at this point, I said, wow, maybe I should show some, you know, people have had pictures of, of what it looked like. And, you know, there's been movies and stuff like that. And have a little shock and go, wow, he died for me and all, all that kind of thing. But I, I don't feel I need to do that. He literally gave his life. And it wasn't quick. He, he offered himself up for our sin so that we could be right with God. And he did it willingly. He did it willingly. He offers himself and he cleanses our conscience from the acts that lead to death. And when it's death, it means eternal death, eternal separation from God. So I look back and I realize Jesus paid for my life. And so even just that amount of remembering is pretty powerful. It puts my life into perspective. It starts recalibrating. And when I really do that and engage and interact with it, then I become grateful. No matter what is happening, I say this often, I joke, I here that Dave Ramsey says it too, but when somebody asks me how I'm doing, I go, better than I deserve. And that's not just to be cutesy, it's to remind me I'm doing better than I deserve. So how should I respond to that? I should be grateful. I should walk out of here on a Sunday where we focus in on Jesus being the centerpiece of our life coming to this meal and holy on, I should kind of like, my feet shouldn't even touch the floor because I should just be, just be so grateful. So grateful. And that's not to make us feel guilty. It's just, just we get familiar with stuff. All of us have things in our life that we've grown accustomed to, we've grown familiar with, 
and, and, and the gratefulness kind of just kind of just drips out the side. We'll see communions to kind of recalibrate, remind us of that. So I'm grateful. Also, while uh, we look f- to the future and renew our hope, no matter what is going on in our lives, we look to the future. We look to when Christ comes and sets things right. We can bear up under whatever's going on in our life. There is hope. I've been reading a lot about these pastors in China that have been imprisoned and their buildings have just been torn down. Be like today's the government comes up and says, we don't want you to be a church anymore. They take me off to prison. They take Cindy off to prison. Uh, maybe Mariah, too. The girls are not in Rochester, so they skip out on getting them, and then they drive through and just bulldoze the building to the ground, and that's it. That's it. If we sat in the cell with some of these people, they would say, I love communion because it renews my hope. It reminds me that someday Christ will set things right. And so I can bear through it, bear in it. Paul also tells us that no eye has ever seen or heard anything like this. No, never so much as imagined anything quite like this, what God has arranged for those who love him. Imagine the ideal life isn't in this chapter of life, it's in the next chapter of life. And so when we celebrate communion, when we enter the communion zone, our hope can be renewed and there can actually be some joy. We can actually be joyful. We could go back and look at accounts where Paul was actually in prison and he's singing. He's singing. Why is he singing? Because he's joyful. He is looking forward and renewed with a renewed hope. And we can do that when we celebrate communion. So communion is a big deal. It recalibrates us. Um, We also, and this is a hard one, we also look within and rejoin our search. And you say, our search for what? We look into our hearts. And we ask ourselves, where does my attitude stink? Where am I harboring some sin in my life? Where am I being disobedient? We measure. We get on the scale and we see. We know. We search. We look into our hearts. We ask God to reveal things. Again, not so that we feel downcast, not so that we feel guilty, but so that we can live another way, so that we can be free from that. I want my errors, my sin, revealed in swallowable spoonfuls so I can keep changing. I I want that. So when you and I celebrate communion, we enter the communion zone, there's an opportunity to look within. And we take what we saw, because we've been quiet a little bit, and we take that with us, 
And we start to have that change in our lives. And it's interesting, it's not something we just do alone. You notice if you've seen this outline before, I used to have just look within. I'm putting we look within. Because being a Christ follower is not a, uh, a solo sport. We're not orphans. We're in this together. So we look within. And it even comes to this search because sometimes I need the help of other people. I need people in my life that can help me with the search, can help me digest the search, can help me figure out what has merit because sometimes I can't trust my eyes when I see the scales. Oh, that's not that bad. Maybe if I had a friend who wasn't caught up with how good I am, might say, well, no, that, that's not good. I mean, when I go to the doctors, he never says, wow, that's great, you got it, a 10 pounds on. No, no, he doesn't say that. James would make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. Whole and healed. That search brings healing. That search brings wholeness in our lives because that is integrity. It's, it's external beliefs, external practices. It's internal beliefs and behaviors are more in line. And when those are together, there's a wholeness and a, and a, and a, and a healedness to our lives. Some of us wonder why we're anxious, irritated, maybe a little bummed out, and it's not all this, but sometimes we wonder why that is. It's because our beliefs and our behaviors don't match. And if you're a Christ follower, we talked about the Holy Spirit come. The Holy Spirit has come. He's in your life. It's more your response to him. He will, he will turn the heat up in your heart because the two don't match. But when the two start to align more, there's this wholeness, there's this healness. So, so we look within, and it's good because we want to live right with God. Because when you and I live with right with God, it's something powerful to be reckoned with. You and I, if we said yes to Christ, have experienced those moments where he's changed us. And there's been power released in our life. And then some of us have been blessed to see that power released in our life overflow and touch somebody else's life. And that's the coolest thing to see. Not just in my own heart, but in somebody else's heart. So this idea of searching within, there's too much at stake for me to hold on to my petty little sins because it has ripple effects, not only in my own life, but in lives around me, and it actually affects my effectiveness in somebody else's life. So this searching within, this recalibration, this uh, living in the communion zone, the rhythm of that is just so important for us. I'll come back to this passage later on. Also, we look within and we rejoice our, our, rejoin our search and we experience wholeness. We can be whole. And some of times, some of our, again, our just uncomfortability with life, our just out of the groove is because we're not whole. Lastly, real quickly, we also look around 
and focus our love. The church at Corinth was using their celebrations to kind of lift themselves up, to say, look, I'm better than you. They were, look, they were self-centered. Well, actually, when you and I celebrate communion, we need to, in a sense, look around with an eye of how we can be there for somebody else. We already read this. One person remains hungry and another gets drunk. How horrible to think of a church coming together, a group of Christians coming together, and one person is all set and another person isn't, is in desperate need, hunger need, and, and it, it, nothing changes. They, they, nothing changes. It, there, there's no love expressed. There's hunger. There's drunkenness. We're aware of this in John. He writes, dear friends, if this is how God has loved us, then we should love one another. You see, if we're going to get into the communion zone and we're going to get on the scale... We actually have to ask ourselves, how are we doing with those around? Now, it doesn't mean we can take care of every need. We've talked about that. But sometimes I use that as an excuse, don't you? Oh, I can't take care of any need, every need, so I can't take care of any need. <laughs> Isn't that fun how it works that way? Rather than leaving, living in the tension of seeing needs and wrestling with needs, that's, that's a good tension to be in. You see, when you and I look around and refocus our love, it gives us the opportunity to be generous. And not, not, not just generous with our money, per se, but generous with ourselves. Generous with our time, our being. We come alongside and, and we give somebody something they don't have or they're in need of. We don't enable, yes, but, but, we, but we, we're generous with our life. You see, communion is significant when we stop and take stock of where we're at as a Christ follower. Do we really look back and have we gotten too familiar and too oh-hum about Christ giving his life for us? Do we really base our future, our ideal life, our living large on that day when we're See Christ face to face when the new heavens, the new earth, when the new chapter begins. Because that changes the way we live in the moment. Uh, do we really look within? How often do you look within? How often do you search to see if there's, as the psalmist, or any wicked ways in me? And then lead me in the ways of righteousness. And then also we, we look around. We refocus our love. And we try to discover, how can I be generous? You see, how you look is determined where you look. So communion is significant for the Christ follower. So I hope this morning, as you think about these thoughts, and as you hold on to these thoughts, those four areas, you'll, you'll ask yourself regularly, how am I doing that? You'll let that be a scale you step on. And when the numbers don't look too good, you'll actually not just go, ooh, I'm not going to get on the scale again. You'll actually start to have behavior that reflects your inside 
beliefs. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just uh, don't have words to express our gratitude for the gift of your Son. Help the story of Jesus not become so familiar that it doesn't engage our hearts, our beliefs, and then our behaviors. Help us to be Christ followers that follow hard after you, that we live, in a sense, in the communion zone. Lord, we're thankful for your patience with us. We're thankful that at any time, any moment, any of us who have not said yes to you can say yes to you, and you join our life, and the adventure begins. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.